Welcome to Northern Exposure, the podcast that we hope will help Canadian medical students explore their potential future careers as Canadian physicians. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah Levy. And I'm Ann Keller. Our guest today is Dr. Michaela Beter. Dr. Beter is a psychiatrist in Toronto. Her work is focused on improving the system for and providing care to people who experience severe mental illness, homelessness, substance use, criminalization, and immigration-related difficulties. She is the mental health lead for Inner City Health Associates, the social justice postgraduate education lead for the Department of Psychiatry, and an assistant professor at the University of Toronto. Dr. Beter is also a community organizer working together with allies at Health Providers Against Poverty and the OHIP for All campaign and on issues of immigration detention. Thanks so much for being here today, Dr. Beter. Thanks for having me. We have divided our interview into three sections. The first is about you and your specialty. We'll then move on to a few questions about your journey and how you decided your specialty was right for you. We'll then finish with the nitty-gritty details of what the day-to-day looks like in your job. All right, great. One of the reasons that we wanted to start this podcast is because we wanted to get a feel for what specialties are really like. We want to hear about the actual day-to-day of what life looks like in different medical specialties, as well as the different ways a career can develop um, and the variety of opportunities within each specialty. So to that end, can you give us an elevator pitch or a short sales pitch for your job? So I think one of the things that I really love about my work is that it encompasses a lot of different areas. And so I do clinical work in a few different places. I would say that the main thing that holds together all of my work that I do is a commitment to social justice and to creating health for people in all different ways. And that's both on the micro levels or in the individual level with people, on the community level, and then also on the systemic or more structural level. In terms of my clinical work, I work with people with severe mental illness who are often criminalized as well, and many of whom are experiencing homelessness. I also work in a drop-in in Toronto and then with a street outreach team. Most of my work is very collaborative with other people in interdisciplinary teams. Along with the clinical work, I also have an administrative role with an organization called Inner City Health Associates, uh, which provides care to people experiencing homelessness uh, throughout Toronto. And we do a lot of outreach into shelters and drop-ins. And my role is uh, supporting the psychiatrists and also offering a mental health lens to some of that work. During COVID, there's been a lot of uh, intense work that's been happening to advocate for and and support the uh, health of people experiencing homelessness. Along with the admin and clinical work, I also have an education role. And so I support, or I, I do work with um, various other collaborators in the Department of Psychiatry um, and a little bit in the medical school as well, mainly on issues of social justice, equity, and structural competency. And then lastly, I mean, this isn't paid employment, but I think is very integral and very important to my role as a physician, and that's engaging in community advocacy and activism through a variety of different groups, including Doctors for Defunding Police most recently, the OHIP for All campaign, um, and advocacy around uh, ensuring access for people without OHIP, which is the Ontario Health Insurance Plan and also with a group called Health Providers Against Poverty and around immigration detention. And so it's a pretty varied work that I do, encompassing a lot of different things sort of linked together by core ideas. So how do you think your personality complements your job and recognizing that your job involves wearing a lot of different hats with a central theme? I mean, I think that when I was in residency, I thought I would much more want to be in one place and 
you know, have a, a clinical experience that would not have me going around all over the place. Uh, then my fifth year of residency, I did something that was a little bit similar to this. And all along, I'd been involved in community organizing and really found that it suited my, my personality. Like I like being active. I like keeping busy. I really like connecting with people. And so most of the work that I choose to do is in teams, is very collaborative and is really incorporating a critical lens both on the work that I do, but also on myself, understanding my privilege, understanding the location that I'm coming from. And so I think that is definitely a, a core feature of who I am, is that I want to be mindful and critical about my role in the world and what I'm doing and grounding the work in, in social justice. This work allows me to do that. I think at the same time, I really like biking. My work is outreach, and that allows me to bike around the city. I bike in all four seasons, and that's a, a big joy um, in between seeing clients that I like to do either on my own or uh, with trainees or with other members of my team. That sounds like such a refreshing way to debrief between sites as opposed to the Toronto traffic. Most definitely. <laughs> Focusing a bit more on the psychiatry piece, a study of approximately 500 medical students in the UK queried respondents about perceptions of psychiatry as a potential career. Common negative thoughts about it included the perception of poor prognosis among psychiatric patients and a lack of scientific evidence base in the field. Uh, what are your thoughts on these kinds of um, negative perceptions about your field? I mean, I would welcome anybody to come spend a few days or a few weeks with me on my job and to see that, yes, people struggle. But a lot of the time, I think that we can have a very powerful role in improving people's lives. Interestingly, I don't think it's necessarily only through sort of traditional psychiatric treatment that we can do that. But the way that I do my work and the way that many of my colleagues do is really incorporating a very holistic approach to people's lives that that understands that the political realities of their existence have a huge impact on their health. And so as a psychiatrist, I think that we have time to speak to our patients, we have time to really get to know them, and then we can address both their clinical issues and also the uh, social determinants of health that, that impact them. And so I think that there definitely is evidence, both for the psychosocial interventions as well as for the pharmacological and medical interventions. And then at the same time, I think that prognosis, I would want to interrogate that a bit and say, you know, what is it that we're expecting a quote unquote good prognosis to be? I think that if we're looking in psychiatry, you know, we need to think about recovery. What does it mean for the person to live a good life, to live a happy life? Sometimes that means living without symptoms, but a lot of the time it's living perhaps with symptoms, but in good housing and with access to good food and with access to sufficient income to be able to make choices. And so I think that psychiatry offers us one way to um, really engage with people where they're at and to see people thrive. I've seen incredible results in terms of people's lives getting better. I think that a psychiatrist, at least for the type of work that I do, is most effective when working collaboratively with other people together. And so we can ensure that people are, are living in a way that they want. I think we also need to think very carefully about being patient-centered in, in the sense of both how we structure our care so that people can access it, but also ensuring that 
we really find out what it is that somebody wants. For some people, the goal is to no longer have a certain symptom, whereas for somebody else, that might not be their goal. They might want to, you know, work on friendships or they might want to ensure that they are reconnecting with their family. And I think that those are all things that when we think of recovery, we need to have that grounded within a sense of the person's own desires. Do you think there are other sort of stereotypes of psychiatry that medical students or perhaps residents even have? And and if so, what, what are your thoughts on those? I think definitely there's the perception that, you know, psychiatry isn't real medicine, whatever that means. I I would challenge that. Interestingly, through the work that I do, I'm often the primary physician caregiver, at least, for the people who I work with. And so I've also been in the position of identifying that somebody needs an x-ray and and ordering that for them or making sure that they have their blood work. A lot of the time it's connecting with other colleagues and helping people to navigate the system so that they can get the care that they need. At the same time, I mean, while it's not my field, I know that there are other people who do very, very medical types of psychiatry, whether it's consultation liaison psychiatry, directly supporting people who have medical conditions, people who are hospitalized. You know, there are people who are doing deep brain stimulation. There's people who are primarily psychopharmacologists and have extensive expertise in that. And so I think psychiatry is a very broad field. I remember that when I went into medicine, I think I didn't realize how much variety there was within psychiatry. I sort of thought, oh, you know, you've chosen the field and now off you go. And then you realize that once you get into psychiatry, you can be a psychotherapist, you can work with people with severe mental illness, you can do policy work, you can do advocacy work, you can do administrative work, you can do mainly medical psychiatry. I mean, there's a huge, huge amount of different types of care that fit within that umbrella. And so I think that we we definitely need to educate our colleagues sometimes about the, the type of work that we do, because they may not know the full scope of what's within our discipline. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's actually a pretty common theme in our interview so far that cardiology isn't one thing and psychiatry and the same for and even when you get into very, very subspecialized fields, there's always everybody's job looks a little bit different. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm loving these interviews. So to move on to our second part of this interview, uh, we really want you to tell us the story of how you got to this point in your career um, in terms of your education, the decisions you've made, and how you made your choices that led you to where you are now. So I'm from, from the West Coast. And for my undergraduate degree, I ended up in a small town called Sackville, New Brunswick at Mount Allison University and had the good fortune to study philosophy there. I remember being somewhat discouraged from studying philosophy because they're saying, you know, is that really going to prepare you for medicine? And I think I would encourage anybody who is interested in you know, the arts or in the humanities to pursue that. I think that it gave me a really solid grounding in critical thinking. And I've certainly used that and valued that throughout my further education. While I was there, I did also do a minor in biology. And so I did have some grounding in the sciences. Um, At the same time, I went to McMaster. And at that point, we didn't have to do the MCAT. So I was one of the Uh, physicians who did not have to do the MCAT at that time. While I was there in undergraduate, I I got involved with some community work. I started a community garden 
And I think that gave me a different perspective on health. We were located behind a retirement home, and so we're able to build community with the seniors who were living there. We connected with the food bank, and uh, members of the food bank could have a plot there. Um, and it really, I think, showed to me the importance of um, bringing community together and working collaboratively towards health broadly. Um, I was also involved in protesting the 2003 invasion of Iraq and started getting politically active. And when I uh, started in medical school, I think, I mean, it was a, a significant transition, obviously. Uh, moving to Hamilton, I loved Hamilton. I think that uh, the, my medical training was was really great there and gave me opportunities to um, actually take an enrichment year. So I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go into family medicine or into psychiatry, which I think is a common dilemma for uh, several of my colleagues who I've, I've spoken with as well. And so I needed an extra year to think that through for myself. And during that year, I spent um, about six months living in Montreal and doing some research with the Department of Social and Transcultural Psychiatry at McGill. And that was a really, really powerful experience for me because for the first time, I really connected with psychiatrists and, and other people working with psychiatrists together, including anthropologists who were taking a very critical view of both the culture you know, that people were living in, but then also the culture of psychiatry and thinking about what is it that we're actually doing? How are we using our power? Psychiatry is a very, very complicated and at times a dangerous and dark history as well. And we need to be aware of the history of the way that our discipline has been used for social control in the past. And I think to some degree also continues to have some of those threads going forward that we need to be critical and mindful of. So I went from my time at McGill University to an elective in Marathon, which was absolutely wonderful. It was in rural family medicine with an incredible group of physicians. And at the end of that, I said, you know, I still think I want to do psychiatry. And I said, you know, I've had the most wonderful family medicine experience, but I really felt that I would like to be a bit more targeted and a bit more specialized in the work that I do. I know family medicine is very variable as well, but I, I think that in psychiatry, usually, depending on the work we do, we have a little bit more time with our patients to, to delve into things. And so I, I really appreciate that about, about my discipline. And so then I came to Toronto, to the University of Toronto for my residency in psychiatry, connected with a really wonderful group of colleagues and uh, started engaging with a few different groups within psychiatry that were very formative. One was the transcultural psychiatry group that I was part of, and we would meet every month, read some articles, and think really together about the culture of psychiatry, but then and and the cultural setting that people were experiencing. And so that was really important for me to have places to read Foucault, to read critical analyses of the way that we use power in in our discipline. At the same time, the year before I came, a group had started that was called the Residents and Consumer Survivor Initiative, or RACI. And RACI was a collaboration between a woman named Pat Capone, who was a just a powerhouse person with lived experience with the mental health system, who then became an incredible advocate and very critical to my development as a psychiatrist in terms of pushing us to think about what it was that we were doing and uh, the way that we're using power, the way that we're engaging with people. And so what RACI was, was 
um, Pat and my colleagues, uh, Priya Raju and Rachel Kronick, coming together and then many others joining as well. So we, we would meet in somebody's home once a month over food. That was very important. <laughs> uh, <laughs> important. Uh, and so we, we would sit with people with lived experience of the mental health system and have a dialogue really unstructured and open discussion about, you know, who we were. We were sort of the quote unquote baby shrinks. Um, and I think it was really powerful for us because it gave us the opportunity to hear directly from people who had experience of the mental health system, but who we were not seeing as patients. Because I think what happens in psychiatry, depending on the type of work you do, is that often you're really seeing people in crisis and when they're not doing well. And it's so important to remember that whatever somebody's diagnosis is, people have the potential to, you know, live a full and happy and beautiful life if we support them with the health supports and the social supports that people need. And so it was really powerful to talk to people who had experienced poverty, experienced the mental health system, and really hear from them, you know, what's it like when somebody is you know, you're in the emergency department and somebody is walking towards you and you're feeling really worried. Is this person going to judge you? Is this person, you know, this person has the power to keep me against my will in the hospital. And so the really hearing directly, what does it feel like for somebody to be in a psychiatric emergency department? And similarly, then being able to have a discussion and saying, well, you know, what's it like for the PTY1 resident as they're going down that hallway and they're worried, who am I going to see on the other end? Am I going to know what to do? Am I going to be competent? Do it, you know, and so realizing there's these dualities in terms of our interactions that the clinician is a human and a person with their thoughts, feelings, emotions, and the patient is a human with their you know, their own thoughts, feelings, emotions, and how can we maintain that humanity and kindness and compassion in our interactions while also realizing that there is a power differential. So I, I did my residency, like I said, here in Toronto and started actually getting more politically active during that time as well. It was in 2010, there was the G20, and I was a part of a group of street medics who provided aid to protesters and who witnessed some of that. And I think that it was really an interesting experience for me to both see the way that the state was brutalizing people. And I think that this is a way that we often we're in, don't see the state act. But I think for people who are racialized, for people who are living in poverty, they do have that experience of over-policing, of having to be on guard all the time. For me, as a white person living in Toronto from who's in medical school, some of those things were the first time that I'd experienced them. And then I think an added piece was navigating how to be an activist and be on the front line and be, while at the same time, um, being aware and worried about how this would be perceived by my medical colleagues. And so my colleague Priya Raju and I wrote a piece for the CMAJ at that time. And I remember being really worried, you know, if we described what it is that we did, would we be able to get a job somewhere? Would we get in trouble with our program? And I think that, you know, we consulted with colleagues and thought about it very mindfully in the end felt that it was really important to document what we had witnessed, realizing that we, again, had a certain privilege that would insulate us from some of the impacts. And so I think it was a, that was a big learning experience. Um, I also became involved with a group called Health Providers Against Poverty and a group called Health for All that was fighting for access to care for people without OHIP. And so then after residency, I went to New York City for a fellowship in public psychiatry. And that was a 
really wonderful experience in the sense that I got to, you know, form a network and connect with other people, but also see just what a different system was like. I was working with people experiencing homelessness there. And I think that it it definitely made me appreciate the universality of our system, even though I'm fully aware that it's not fully universal, but it's certainly better than it is in the United States. And I think that I've tried to take those learnings and continue here since I've been staffed uh, at one of the downtown hospitals in Toronto, continue to do inner city work, um, street medicine, and also to do reports for people with immigration related difficulties. And so that's my trajectory. That's incredible. There's so much there to unpack. So I want to I want to back up a bit. The first point that jumps to mind was you were thinking sort of between family medicine and psychiatry. What was it about those two specialties that really connected with you? Or how did you eliminate kind of all the rest of medicine as, as a possibility? I mean, I think that family medicine offers an incredible breadth. I mean, you have people who can start off doing rural family medicine, and then at some point they may switch to doing um, psychotherapy or they can do palliative care. Like there's a, a real opportunity to meet people where they're at. I think that similar to many people going to medicine, I, I think I'd heard about MSF and had thought, you know, I want to ensure that my medical training allows me to give back. Um, and that was the main way that I'd sort of heard of medicine being able to give back. And then when I started getting more involved um, in in my training, I started realizing, you know, there are other ways that we can do work supporting people who experience marginalization in our own communities. And I think that it's important to be able to provide assistance in other locations. And at the same time, there's a huge need here as well. And so um, I was still very torn between family medicine, particularly rural family medicine and psychiatry. And I think the the enrichment year allowed me to to really see both the variety within psychiatry and the way to engage critically within psychiatry. And then also, you know, have this wonderful family medicine experience and realizing, you know, I, I'm not actually somebody who loves doing procedures. I'm not somebody who loves doing, you know, knowing everything about everything. I think I'm more suited to being able to have fewer patients to spend more intense time with them. You know, once I saw models of the type of psychiatric care that I was interested in that clarified the decision. It was a pretty down to the wire decision, though. Um, I was also torn between different places to do residency. I was very, very drawn towards Montreal, um, but in the end, uh, chose to come to Toronto and have really found an incredible community of clinicians who are also activists here. And I think that's what really allowed me to get through residency here. I've had discussions with my colleagues where there's kind of the concern about, you know, how will this be perceived? How will it affect my career? How will it affect my job prospects if I get involved, if I actively talk about defund the police, all of those kinds of things? What would the consequences be? Um, so what advice do you have for students who are interested in and want to make advocacy and social justice a part of their career and who are concerned about those kinds of potential consequences? I'd say find a community and build a community so that you're not doing it on your own. Um, I think it's both dangerous to do it on our own because we as physicians, I think, have a bit of a reputation in history for feeling that we know what's needed. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's really important to connect with communities directly who are doing the work and to say, look, what is it that I can offer you rather than saying, I want to do this thing and off I go. And so 
being grounded in community, I think, really allows for us to feel that we have a solid sense of what our politics are and what it is that's needed. For me, it was really important to find colleagues and allies who were engaged in similar work so that we could, you know, check each other and be like, you know, is this, does this make sense? Am I on the right track? And then to find mentors as well who are doing this work and who are speaking up and being aware that if there are complaints or if you're speaking out about something that is not um, accepted or not palatable, there are risks to that. At the same time, I think there's huge risks to not doing it as well. And I think that in the end, it, you know, we, we do have privilege as clinicians and we can think carefully and mindfully about how to leverage that. And there's really specific skills as well that can be built. I mean, it's advocacy can involve many, many, many different ways of doing it. I think that taking the, the grounding within clinical work for me is really important to my advocacy so that I, uh, my work is informed by, by the situations and the stories that I hear from my patients. I think while at the same time, you know, being really mindful that of confidentiality and all of those things, I think we, we learn from our firsthand knowledge of people. I feel like we could talk to you for hours and we don't have that kind of time, but uh, kind of digging into the nitty gritty of your job and recognizing that you wear a lot of different roles and hats. So I'm very excited to hear about what your weeks look like. I do recognize that there is no sort of typical oftentimes in medicine so a typical day or a typical week but but in general what does typical look like in your job prior to covid so again i, I mean it's it's pretty variable i have decided to work again this has changed during covid but decided to work four days a week so that i could have time for advocacy and organizing we are well compensated as physicians um, certainly much more than some of our, our other colleagues and definitely stratospherically more than the people who I work with. And so I think that the opportunities for doing uh, advocacy and, and other type of work is something that I've prioritized. In terms of my clinical care, like on Mondays, I would do uh, work at a drop-in. Pre-COVID, that would mean going on site and, and seeing the people who, who come there. Further on in the week, I support my team uh, based in Toronto that provides care to people with complex challenges around their mental health and uh, experiences, often experiences of homelessness, criminalization, medical concerns. And what I love about that work is that it allows me both to do some work in the office, but often to do outreach. And so that's outreach going to shelters, going to various other community settings. Um, sometimes we see people on the street corner. Our hope is really that we can support people to get housing because we know that housing is a very significant social determinant of health. And so on a really nitty gritty level, my job involves sitting with people, whether it's in the office or going to a cafe with somebody or talking on the street corner, assessing them for, you know, talking to them about their mental health, making sure that they are safe. Oftentimes, you know, identifying if there's any medical concerns that need further follow up and then adjusting their medications. And the work that I do, I also work with some people who are um, on what's called a community treatment order, which I think is one of the more complicated, um, sort of philosophically complicated and practically complicated parts of my, my work, for me at least, um, in the sense that we do treat some people against their will. And so I think that I 
continuously find myself challenged about what it means to do that and the, the reasons for that. I've been involved working with a team that does street outreach. So we support people who are street homeless and we have a van, we go around, we see people. So that could be seeing somebody who is in a ravine or somebody who's living in a bus shelter or somebody who's living um, where, wherever they can find safety, I think. So that, that that's one aspect of my work. And then throughout that is sort of education work, having trainees with me, but also designing curriculum around equity-related topics. Pre-COVID, I was also doing assessments for people going through the immigration process, specifically uh, folks who are in immigration detention. So I've gone to several of the jails across the city and outside of the city as well to do psychiatric reports for people who have been incarcerated on uh, what's called an immigration hold. I think that, you know, my days are a mix of clinical, but also all of these other pieces that sort of fluidly connect to that. Sounds like there's never a dull moment. (laughs) I don't think I have ever had a single day of being bored at work, ever. So speaking of that, what is the aspect of your job that makes you the most excited to go to work most days? I mean, I think it's the ability to connect with people um, and to see is there a way that we can improve somebody's life in on that day and then more broadly. And it also sounds like, I mean, the population that you're working with, it it has the potential to to lead to a bit of burnout. Have you ever experienced any any of that? Um, any time when, you know, it's just been overwhelming or too much for you? I think that definitely there have been times where I've felt overwhelmed. I mean, there's a real risk, I think, when you're working with people who are continuously coming up against the way that our society is not built to protect them. Uh, it takes some inner work to to engage with that. I think at the same time, I'm so incredibly aware of the way that society has given me other things, that I, of the privileges that I have. And so I think it's, you know, it's important not to dwell on that, but at the same time to make sure to nourish oneself um, and to care for oneself a lot of my, you know, sort of quote unquote self-care actually happens through organizing, through, I think if I wasn't doing political work, I would feel just so much grief and not know where to put it in terms of the adversity that's experienced by the people that I work with. Organizing allows me to connect with other people who are experiencing similar difficulties in their work, who are also trying to figure out, you know, how do we decenter ourselves as physicians while also being there and and working towards systems change. I mean, while this is not a clinical encounter, I think one of the things that I feel really profoundly glad to have seen through um, is the the recent changes around um, access to healthcare for people without immigration status. We, for many, many years, communities were organizing about this. Um, I was part of this group called Health for All. We formed a group called OHIP for All. And along with directly impacted communities, there's been, I mean, years and years and years of organizing. And then during COVID, we saw the government actually cover all care for people in hospitals um, and also provide billing codes that can be used for community care provision for people without OHIP. And so that to me is such an important win and such a, you know, gives me 
so much hope that we can see change and that we need to continue the fight, that it's an important and worthwhile fight. I think that's part of what prevents burnout for me. Also, gardening for me is really important. I have my, my, my garden, I have friendships, I have community, I have my cats, biking around, reading. Those are all things that, that also nourish me and think that, you know, the mix of being able to address systemic inequity while also being mindful that, you know, you do need to take a break sometimes. You do need to step back and you do need to care for yourself. That's a lesson I'm continuously learning and having to re-remind myself of. Oh, that resonates. Yes. Always reminding myself about that aspect. So unfortunately, clinical exposure is fairly limited for medical students presently. So we are doing lots of reading about specialties. What would be some things about your specialty and honestly more about your job that if we were to read about it, we wouldn't see necessarily on paper? You can see so much change and benefit and growth for people and that we always need to, you know, hold hope for the the people that we work with. I think that, you know, if you are a clinician who's grounded in wanting to increase access for people and wanting to create a, a way to to heal and a way to be healthy. I think this work is so incredibly rewarding and the vast variety of different things that one can do, I think is something that maybe doesn't shine through on the job description as much. Thank you for that. Any final words of wisdom or advice you may have for students that are considering a career in a job like yours? I mean, I think that it's it's an incredible privilege to be able to practice medicine, to work in healthcare, and the more that we can stay grounded in the needs of the communities that we serve, um, the more fulfilling it is. I think that finding your people, finding your communities who you can connect with to nourish yourself and also to remain connected to the, the needs of, um, of the people we're working with is really important. I'm continuously aware of the need for further change within psychiatry, while also very glad that it's the field that I chose. Thanks so much for joining us today, Dr. Beter. This has been really, really insightful. Thank you so much for having me and all the best for you and everybody else listening in your training. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Northern Exposure. To suggest a guest, send us feedback, or learn more, check out our website, northernexposurepodcast.ca. We are both students of McMaster's Michael G. DeGroote School of Medicine, but this podcast is in no way affiliated with the school or program, and all views expressed are ours alone. Views expressed by guests on our show are personal opinions and should not be considered representative of any hospital, university, or other organization with which they may be affiliated. Included music is The Script by Mila from the Free Music Archive, utilized under the Creative Commons Share Like License. Thank you.